Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, Oak Mountain. My name is Chad Walker. I'm one of the pastors on staff. It's really good to be with you. Let me also say Happy New Year to you as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and you can turn there this morning. We're going to look at the passage in 2 Corinthians 5 today. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So as you're turning there, it's great to be here on New Year's. The Sunday falls on New Year's Day. It's good to be together, worshiping the Lord together. It's a new time, it's a new, you know, the phrase, the new year, new you. This is the time we make our resolutions. This is the time we recommit ourselves. This is the time that we make new promises and throw out the old and make all the changes that we want to make, right? <clears throat> this is the time that we do that. This is the time where we think about it so much that Commercial-wise, it is capitalized on this desire that we have. There's so much money to be made on our desire to want to change our lives. And thinking about this, I started looking at different commercials that are on TV. I started noticing them more, <clears throat> even looked to see what commercials there might be that are pretty, uh, pretty uh, funny or well-known. One of the funniest ones I came across was a Canadian commercial that said, the tagline of the commercial said, change your life with bacon. No lie. Change your life with bacon. And I can almost get behind that because me and my family, we like bacon a lot. Change your life with bacon. It was a spoof on the fact that we know that we want our lives to change. So yeah, why not bacon, right? But there's so many things we think about in terms of changing our lives and how that's spoken into. It's the internal desire that we have for things to be different. And one of the best commercials I came across is actually being aired right now. <clears throat> Google has taken the search engine uh, things that we've put in over the past years, and each year they've used that to make a commercial and inspire us for the next year. So we will take a look at what they've brought up this year for us. <clears throat> so as you can see, Google has seen this inside of us, that they, want, they know that we want things to be different. How can I change my life? How can I be a different person? How can I make a difference? All of these things that we want to be inspired, we want to experience change, we want to find new energy. And why is that? Because deep down inside of us, we really long for things to be different, right? We know this is not how things are supposed to be, and yet here we are, and we find ourselves at the cusp of a new year, and we think this year can be different. There's hope we can have to turn over a new leaf, and we can experience change. And I believe that those deep longings are what God puts in our hearts, that we can be different. We really can. And so I submit to you today that to the, the, the difference, the changing of life that we long to experience comes with an exchanging of life. A changing of life happens through an exchanging of life. So if you can, please stand with me and let's read 2 Corinthians 5 together to see what God has to say. Starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. And he gave it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know that our changed life only comes through an exchanged life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we, what we long for can only be found in you and you do satisfy us in that way. You meet us in our deepest longings as Greg prayed earlier. And we thank you that of all the things in this world, nothing can satisfy. But we know that you can. And you have proved it and displayed it to us so clearly from your word. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, bless the hearing of your word, and bless the believing and doing of your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So a changed life comes through an exchanged life. As we look at this passage, of course, there's at least three things we can point out. So let's look at the first one today. And that's experience the new you by dying to your sin that's given to Jesus. You can experience the new you by dying to your sin that's given to Jesus. This may seem like a completely duh statement as a believer, but there's no point in missing this as a believer. This is part of the core of the core, the heart of the heart, the main thing of the main thing we talk about, that we believe that is Christianity, that when Jesus is on the cross, he is literally dying for your sin and my sin. It is no small thing to gloss over. This is the heart of the gospel. Look at verse 17. The old has passed away. You're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. In other words, Galatians 2.20, Paul says it there, that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who, I who live, but he who lives in me, who loved me and gave himself up for me. When Jesus is on the cross, Paul identifies himself, as do we, that that is us being crucified for our sin. So the old is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. Listen to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Very specifically, the cross, those nails show that your sin and your record of debt of sin, including mine, has been nailed and has been taken care of. It's an amazing, amazing thing to consider. And not only that, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, God the Father made Jesus, his son, to know sin on our behalf. And that word know is no small thing either. That word know is very specific. It means to know up close and personally, not just theoretically. So when Jesus on the cross, he knows your sin and my sin very up close to the point of death. He knows your sin up close and personally as he's taking it on and absorbing it for himself. And that is an amazing thing that he is exchanging his, he is taking on our sin for himself. First Peter 2, that Jesus committed no sin and bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin. That's the power that God does on the cross. That is what's happening on the cross, that we are dying to our old self as it's being nailed there. 
Galatians 3.13 might be the most similar passage to this where Jesus, where it says that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by being the curse for us. He became that. It's not that he literally became your sinful nature because he's perfect and will always be perfect. But he took your sinful nature and he paid for every liability of that. He paid for every consequence of that. He paid for every punishment of that. Willingly. Willingly exchange that. Give that to me. That's why I'm going to the cross. That's the mission of my life. That's what's happening on the cross. That's what all the Old Testament points to. Think about it. The Passover. The entire sacrificial system. The sprinkling of the blood. The scapegoat. All these things point to our need for a substitution to atone, to take our sin, to be our sacrifice. And all of it screams Jesus. Jesus on the cross. It's an amazing thing. And he's exchanging that, taking it on for himself. So regardless of your past, your present, and even future sins, I ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that being in Christ, that he has absorbed all of your sin, every single bit of it? Do you feel as though that you need to earn it to be in God's good standing, to make up for your bad? Or do you believe that God, that Jesus on the cross really absorbed all the penalty and weight of your sin? Do you find yourself struggling with the same sins, old patterns that creep back in in some sort of way and you think, I don't know, I don't know. But this is definitive. 2 Corinthians 5 is definitive that he's paid for all of your sin. That's part of the good news, that he's paid for every single sin and absorbed it all. There's such good news in that. So as good as that is, I want to move on to the second point because this is probably one of my favorite aspects of the gospel. And our second point is experienced in you by embracing his righteousness that's given to you. Bob talked about this a few weeks ago and spent a little time talking about this. And when he did, I don't know if you felt like me, but my heart was warmed. It was like being thirsty saying, yes, yes. I want to know more of this, that the righteousness that Jesus has, all of it has been given to you. It's been given to me. What an amazing exchange that happens here on the cross that not only is he taking our sin and absorbing that, that's been imputed to him and paying for the consequences, but now this glorious part of the gospel that he is giving you all of his righteousness, all of it. It's an amazing truth here. Look at verse 17, it says, behold, the new has come. Not only has the, the old passed away, but the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ, definitively legal standing with God. That word behold says to sit up, look, and take notice here that you are a new creation. God's done a work that's just as miraculous as he spoke creation into being. He has now spoken that your heart is now changed and regenerated in Jesus that you could not do, that only he could do. That's the new creation. That means that he's done something again that he did back in Genesis 1 inside of you as a believer. Now, you may not feel it all the time, but definitively and legally in Jesus, 
That is what's happened. You are new in Christ. Part of the newness is that you have been given the righteousness that Jesus has. It has been imputed to you. Look at verse 21, in the last part of the chapter, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, if God is a negotiator, in my humble opinion, he would seem to be the worst negotiator ever. I know that's wrong, but I'm just saying that from God's standpoint, think about it. We are rebels that rebel against God, and we sin against him, and we want our own glory. And yet he saw it fit to take all of our sin and our sinful nature and give it to his son and hang him on a cross to cancel the debt, but then impute and credit to our account all of his righteousness to us. And we did nothing to get it. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing that you deserve to have this, as well as me. But he saw fit to negotiate out, to plan this out in his providence that he's going to bore the wrath through his son for all of your sins and then give you all of his son's righteousness so that you can have that right relationship with God. That rightness, the righteousness is talking about a rightness of relationship with your heavenly father. You've been reconciled. That means you weren't right in relationship with God, but yet now you are definitively through Jesus. That all of the love, all of the favor, all that Jesus has in his intimate relationship with the Father, you now have. You now have that. We hear an audacious prayer, or can read an audacious prayer in here in your mind, maybe. John 17, Jesus is praying and when he's praying, he's praying that the world would know two things. One, that God sent him, his father, and that they would know that the father loves us as much as he loves Jesus, his son. That's an audacious claim. That is so radical that think about it, that Jesus is wanting you to know in the world that God the father loves you as much as he loves Jesus, his son. And that's only because through the cross, he accomplished it by Jesus giving you all of his righteousness, all of it. Think about it, he never disobeyed God, even to the point of death and all of the suffering. Never did he not love the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Always, continually, never a second, never, not half, never half-hearted, all the way, all the time, and all of that obedience, the miracles, everything about Jesus, and that rightness with God has been given to you. The favor that he has with the Father, he can bend his ear. The, the, the fellowship, the intimacy, all of that that he has with God, you now, in Jesus, have all of that. It's an amazing thing. It is so good. So if you think about it, the rightness with God is a lot like a covering. It, it, it's a covering of knowing that you're right with God, that is shielding you, that is covering you and showing you like Jesus. It's a lot like Jacob. If you remember the story where, where Jacob put on the, the wool to pretend to be like his, his brother who was more hairy so that he could what? Receive the blessing from his father. And the blood of Jesus is like that. It is your covering. It is our covering. It gives us the rightness and the blessing and the favor and the grace of God. 
So do you see this righteousness that God has given to us as your refuge? Do you see this as your resting place? Do you see this as your anchor and place that you find all covering? Or do you run to other things thinking, I got to be in right relationship with God? I got to be in church. I got to read my Bible every day. I got to pray so long. I got to do all these things so that I can be right with God. No, that's backwards. You are right with God because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus given to you on the cross and puts you in that perfect relationship. And in that perfect relationship, it overflows to change your want tos. It changes your desires to want those things, to want to spend time with him, to want to gather together and worship together, to want to be in his word, to want to talk about him. So there's one more aspect here I want to talk about this morning. Not only has he exchanged lives with us in the great exchange, but the last part is he's also, uh, I'm sorry, the last point is experienced into you by fulfilling your purpose that is given to you. Experienced into you by fulfilling your purpose that's given to you. See, the natural overflow of all of this is that you've been repurposed with God's purposes. We looked at verse 17, we looked at 21, but between those, sandwich, right in the middle of the sandwich of those verses, is talking about what purpose God has given us. He's given us, verse 18, the, the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconciliation is used five times in these few short verses here. Reconciled, reconciled, reconciled. That not only have you been reconciled, not just to live in your own little world, but you've been reconciled that now opens up an entire world to see that you are a part of a connection to understanding that God's kingdom's even bigger than you. It's a trading off of your little kingdom of sandcastles and things we hope for that we will build up in this world and exchanging that for the purposes of God's kingdom that's grander and bigger and built on a firm foundation like we just sang. That is God's repurposing for us. And the process is God has reconciled us and given us this ministry. Verse 19, what's the message that he gives us in this ministry? It's that God is reconciling the world, world to himself and he's not counting our sins against us. That's the ministry. It's pretty simple. One sentence. There it is. That's, that's what we're doing here. In verse 20, that we are ambassadors and God's making his appeal through us. We're the conduit. That that's how he does it. And how does that look? There's a very important word right there. Implore. I implore you on Christ's behalf. Implore means to beg and to plead. So just like Paul's begging, I'm, I'm begging with you now. If you don't know Jesus personally and have a relationship with him, you have not understood this to be true. You have not had the faith to believe this. Or maybe you struggle to believe this. I'm pleading and begging with you to hear these good words. The good message here, that you have been reconciled with God through Jesus. And this great exchange happens that he nails his, his, your sin has been nailed to the cross by him willingly. And he has given you his righteousness willingly. And this great exchange happens that now you're right with God. It's so good. It reminds me of a, of a guy that I knew one time in college, went on a summer beach project and Worked at a hotel one summer, and there was a guy named Davron who was from Uzbekistan. I didn't even know where that was, so I looked it up on the map. And we got to know this guy over the summer, and um, 
you know, he would invite us over to his house and him and his roommate would cook meals for us, the foods we'd never eaten before. And then we'd invite him to our place and we would cook meals and built a long relationship over the summer. Share the gospel a lot, a lot of conversation about the Bible and the Quran and the differences and all these sort of things. And there was a lot of favor there, very open. Um, but by the end of the summer, he knew this was coming to a close and we were going to leave soon and go home. And one day he asked if we could talk at work. I said, sure. And he said, Chad, you know, um, I just need to talk to you for a minute. Everything y'all have said this summer has made me think, and I don't know what to make of it, but I, I want to be really honest with you. I don't tell many people this, but I don't sleep real well at night. Matter of fact, I have a really, really hard time going to sleep. Hmm. Well, why is that, Davron? He said, well, you know, we've talked about Islam and what it means to be a Muslim. And you know that good deeds got to outweigh your bad deeds. And hopefully you've done enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. And hopefully, you know, my God will let me into heaven. And I just don't know. When I lay down at night, I don't know if I've done enough good to outweigh the bad. And it eats me up on the inside. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm very anxious. I hardly ever sleep. And it's eating me up. And I don't know what to do. But what you're saying is very different. And I don't know what to do with that either. <clears throat> and we end up having a conversation about 2 Corinthians 5. Because in that... I was able to talk about how the record of Jesus or the record of Davron, first off, was nailed to the cross because we're never going to do enough good for God. His standard is perfection and holiness. But on the flip side, there's a righteousness that's imputed to us, that's given to us freely through the cross. And so the record of Jesus, which is perfect, is where I can put all of my hope and all of my weight my standing, my covering, and my refuge. But outside of that, I have no firm footing, and I wouldn't sleep at night either. So Jesus makes a really good pillow for me. So I don't know what's happened with Davron at this point, but it was just really eye-opening for me to contrast what we're talking about today with Islam and other ways in which the world throws things at us that we have to earn it. This is what grace is. It's been freely given to us in Jesus. It's free, completely free. And God loves you, and you don't deserve it, but he loves you anyway in Jesus. So, the changed life is only found in exchanged life. So let us remember that he's nailed our sin to the cross, and he's given us all his righteousness and he's repurposed us to be a part of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we have a firm foundation to stand on. Thank you that we can sleep at night because the record and the righteousness that has been given to us is so much better than what we have earned and done for ourselves. We have messed it up in every sort of way. Jesus, thank you for willingly going to the cross. Thank you for taking on the penalty, the liabilities of all of our sinful nature and nailing it to the cross. And thank you so much for giving us all of your good standing, your favor and your intimacy and your rightness with God the Father. So Father, let that sink into our hearts this morning. 
And may you be blessed for it and glorified for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you guys stand to receive the benediction this morning. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. Amen.